You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. All right, welcome to Bet the Edge. I'm Jay Croucher, here as always with Drew Jensik, who is wearing a suit, uh, as he always does whenever we talk about Shane Steichen, which we're going to today. We're going to talk about the Colts and their new look offense, and we're going to get into the Cowboys and Chargers uh, and their traded uh, situations, uh, at least with Kellen Moore going to uh, the Chargers with a potentially new look offense there. I'll talk about ways to attack these teams, but let's start off with Anthony Richardson, named the Colts starter, uh, which was about minus 20,000 to happen after the official depth chart or the unofficial depth chart said that the starter was Anthony Richardson or, all caps, Gardner Minshew. Uh, so the minus 20,000 comes in. Richardson said he was shocked. Uh, is the only person in America shocked at that news. He's plus 700 to win Offensive Rookie of the Year. Uh, the Colts are plus 350 to make the playoffs. Their win total is six and a half. Uh, what do you think of Richardson as the starter? This is a weird Colts team, and we'll get into why. But, I mean, does this team have significant upside, significant downside, or is it just going to be a 6-7 win time? Man, I really hope that it is downside to start the season, upside to end. Um, I like the hire of Shane Steichen. I like the pick of Anthony Richardson. I see relatively limitless potential for this offense if thing if these guys come together and make perfect you know make perfect music together. Um, but the idea of that happening in September of 2023, I make that about my you know plus twenty thousand. Jay, uh, I think realistically it's going to be a a little bit of a rocky start to his NFL debut because I mean. Is there are still a lot of other moving parts about this offense that have not been solved. Uh, you have a wide receiver core that is towards the bottom of you know, the NFL in terms of skill position quality. Um, you don't really have like obvious safety outlets. You know, you don't have a, a, a guy that is a, you know, a, a, a true separator that you can count on. You don't have a tight end that you, you know, to provide a safety blanket. Uh, and we don't know about the health and availability of the key piece of the running game in Jonathan Taylor. So uh, I think it's fair to assume that this is going to get off to a slow start, if not slow, at least uncertain, you know, at least highs and lows. And, uh, you know, the, the brief um, exposure we got to Richardson in the playoffs, I mean, in the preseason, excuse me, spoke to exactly that. Uh, you know, there were moments where you're like, this guy absolutely belongs and moments where you thought, OK, the game's moving too fast for him. And guess what? That's because he's a rookie. That's because he didn't start attending college. That's because he's a raw athlete with uh, a lot to learn about being a quarterback at the NFL level. And so all of this makes perfect sense. And I think, uh, you know, realistically, the best case outcome for us as betters uh, is for people to be a little bit too excited about 
Indianapolis to start the season, have a little bit of cold water thrown on them in the months of September and October and give us an opportunity to buy low on these guys in November, December. Because I got to tell you, outside of the inexperience about Richardson, like I'm a long term believer in what Chris Ballard is building there. And I think really the only thing that's going to hold them back is if the ownership gets in the way of, you know, extending the right players and keeping a you know, nucleus together so that uh, Richardson and Steichen can grow and, uh, you know, become something special. So, um, you know, ultimately, are they best served by having a top three pick and giving, getting Marvin Harrison Jr. next year? Yes, absolutely. Uh, but I think getting uh, Richardson's feet wet this year is absolutely the right decision. Uh, and I think, you know, there will certainly be moments in the first half of the season where, um, you know, if you guess right and he does well on a given day, uh, you know, you're going to look smart. But uh, I'm going to be passing, I think, on a lot of Colts games between now and when we get to Thanksgiving. Yeah, I think the underrated thing with the Colts, because there's been so much focus on Jonathan Taylor and the quarterback situation, uh, is that the defense last year was solidly average. It wasn't the problem with the team. It was the offense. It was just a car crash with the ghost of Matt Ryan cycling through with Nick Foles, who was basically the worst player in the NFL whenever he was starting, and then Sam Ellinger, who was close behind Foles. But the defense was fine, and now I'm not sure it's going to be fine because they, lo- they lose Stefan Gilmore, they lose Isaiah Rogers, who was sneakily very good last year. So they lose their top two cornerbacks, they didn't really replace them. They get Shaq Leonard back, which helps, but they still don't they don't have cornerbacks and they don't really have a pass rush. They haven't had a pass rush in years. So I'm not sure what the upside is for the a very uh, – I just don't think there's much talent on the defense. And then offensively, I think there is a bit more talent. I've never understood the past two, three years – or really two years, why the offensive line just hasn't been better when the, you look at the names and the pedigree. Uh, Quentin Nelson taking a step back has been a big part of that. But the O-line, I think, should be better. Michael Pittman remains, I think, one of the more underrated receivers in the game. Maybe they get something uh, out of Pierce. So I think the offense has upside. I, there's nothing particularly at the moment that jumps off the board as a way to bet the Colts. What I would hope for is that I think when quarterback, when rookie quarterbacks start off poorly, the market drifts them way too quickly. So I'm just hoping that Richardson, particularly with, I guess, his skill profile and how raw he is, um, the fact that I think that he could make improvement quickly just by having more reps. Uh, I hope that you know he's kind of terrible the first three, four weeks, and he drifts out to 35 to one for O'Roy, uh, and at that point. You know, he hasn't dented his stats too much to the point where it's unsalvageable. And, you know, if he does figure things out in the back end of the season, then maybe he can make a run. I'm not interested really at the moment, plus 700. I feel like the pick that he threw against Buffalo off the back foot, uh, throw that he shouldn't have made, I feel like we're going to see 15 of them uh, this year. So I that would be what I would hope for is that he starts off poorly and then uh, there's an offensive rookie of the year uh, price point to jump in at. Uh, does that make sense to you or do you think there is any value at the plus 700 currently? You're going to have to really twist my arm hard to get involved with rookie of the year for him this year. I got to tell you, Jay, I'm, I again, like I'm excited to buy low on the team at a price point. Once we get to the middle of the season, there's a bunch of teams towards the end of their schedule where they're playing young, inexperienced quarterbacks. And that's exciting from the standpoint of they might be dogs at home to some of those teams. And you could get Richardson at, uh, you know, a cheap price there. But um, the most close prospect he compares to is 
Josh Allen. And it took Josh Allen years in the NFL to really rein in some of his deficiencies as a passer. And I think expecting Josh, you know, expecting Richardson to do that coming out of the gate uh, is an awful lot. So um, you may be riding alone on that one. <laughs> but again, like of the rookie quarterbacks who are going to make a ton of starts this year, there's no one I would put higher on my like willingness to get involved. Because I think uh, just in general, the limitations with weapons available in Carolina, uh, some of the scheme and, and uh, you know, weapons available in Houston, like he definitely has the most to work with. Uh, and, you know, I would expect his particular contributions on the ground to be much higher than uh, the, um, you know, his, his uh, contemporaries. So um, I get it, but uh, you're, you're probably riding solo on this. Yeah. Like, I don't think he's going to win. I don't think his game is there yet, but at the same time, his, I think his range of outcomes is extremely variable this season. Uh, and the fact that he just has so much upside. I also think there's like an Ellie Dela Cruz factor to him where when it looks good for him, it's going to f- feel outsized in the minds of voters and the market where he is just going to look like he's playing a different sport when he's on because he's um, he just does things that you don't typically see um, from NFL players. So uh, I may be writing alone on Anthony Richardson, but we'll see. Uh, I'm only going to get involved if he starts off poorly and the price tanks. Uh, before we jump to the Dallas Cowboys, with the NFL season quickly approaching Drew, now is the perfect time to get your Roto World Fantasy Football Draft Guide. Get ready for your draft and stay one step ahead of your league during the preseason with updated player rankings, profiles, projections, mock drafts, and more. Go to NBCSports.com slash draft guide and use code DRAFT2023 to save 20% at checkout. You can also use code J10 and get 10% off that checkout and that's a that's a real thing it's a little bit that we've done in the fanciful happy hour so if you don't want the 20 percent, you want 10 percent instead uh for reasons unknown use the code j10 all right cowboys new lock offense mike mccarthy is going to be more prominent for better or worse i think the cowboys are probably the sharp consensus super bowl bet at the moment where i think that uh, if you look across the market and you look at certain books that are shorter than the Cowboys uh, to win the Super Bowl than others, uh, you'll notice a pattern uh, in terms of their odds to win the NFC East. That's plus 170. So there might be a little bit of meat on the bone there. Plus 650 to win the NFC. And the one that I like is uh, 15 to 1 to win the Super Bowl. Uh, I think that is a very solid bet. I think this team is is weirdly being a little bit slept on, which doesn't feel like the Dallas Cowboys ever are. But I think adding Stefan Gilmore really completes that defense. I think Micah Parsons is the best defensive player in the league. And I think the offense, Prescott is so maligned at the moment because of how his season ended. Dak Prescott's fine. Dak Prescott's a top 12 quarterback in the league, top 10 probably. Uh, and adding Brandon Cooks rounds out their weapons. I just think this team is absolutely stacked. Uh, and... I think that with we'll talk about Tony Pollard specifically, but what's your read on the Cowboys? This is going to be one of those teams where we're going to continue to take a stand, continue to take a stand, continue to take a stand, because the Eagles start off with their schedule relatively soft. So it's not like you're going to see some immediate, obvious opportunity to capture value betting the Cowboys now, but I think they are the bet in the NFC East, and I think they are... Uh, the higher ceiling team between them and the Eagles just because the defense I'm so, so, so high on that unit overall. And it's not even be, not even because of like the specific singular talents of the likes of, um, you know, Michael Parsons and uh, Dexter Lawrence, but, you know, just in general, the, the scheme under Quinn 
and the depth on that team looks looks amazing to me. They backfilled with some players in the secondary who really came to their own last year, and now those guys are depth pieces. Like that's exciting. So I think realistically, the defense is going to make up any gaps that the offense has losing Kellen Moore, and I think. The narratives around the Cowboys are kind of funny because you almost need to decide one way or the other about how you feel about Mike McCarthy right now. Because we're going to learn one way or the other if he is a guy that is consistently calling plus EV scheme, plus EV sequencing. Uh, and we're going to learn one way or the other if the loss of Kellen Moore actually is in a, you know is actually a, a tangible thing for this offense. I think the addition of Brandon Cooks is fine. He wouldn't have been my first choice as wide receiver, too. I would have rather gotten a guy who isn't quite as redundant with C.D. Lamb, but that's just fine. Uh, and I think realistically, the uh, McCarthy and the way that they've kind of populated this roster, presumably with some of his input and some of his vision, tells you that he is going to call things a little bit more in a plus EV manner, at least from a scheme and sequencing standpoint. So I'm fine kind of believing in him and believing that this is going to work and maybe even that this is going to be better than what we saw under Kellen Moore. The only kind of real drawback that I will, you know, kind of expect is that end of game decision making. You know, some of the just 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 what are you doing? Like when the when the um, uh, when the leverage is the highest, that's really where Mike McCarthy fails for me. And that's really not going to happen until we get to the playoffs. And so I think. For me, this is about stacking positions on Cowboys to win the uh, NFC East this year. It's going to be betting them in high leverage games in the regular season, uh, and then you know maybe taking a stand against them once we get to playoff times when the, you know when they're up against truly equal competition, the likes of maybe the Eagles. Uh, if the Eagles are on the road as a you know three point dog, maybe we've com- I've completely changed my uh, you know my the sound of my my position here. Uh, but certainly the Niners, if the Niners go to Dallas, but you know Dallas absolutely has one seed upside in my opinion. Uh, and one, you know, betting him into that market, getting the one seed in the uh, NFC is very, very exciting because if they win the NFC East, I can get their a coin flip or better uh, than the Niners, considering what the Niners are going to start be starting the season with at quarterback. So I think realistically, it's all for me upside with this Cowboys roster. And it's because of the balance between the offense and defense. And in general, I'm expecting Mike McCarthy to you know, make these guys look good, especially when they're up against inferior competition. So uh, Cowboys, to me, I think are a 13-14 win team and one side, you know, one seed, uh, one seed is sort of well within their range of outcomes. And I think if, I, if you wanted me to tack an upside market, that's where I would go. Yep, looks like they're plus 600 to get the one seed. I think that's probably a slightly better way to bet them than plus 170 for the division. That means that it's better to bet the one seed if they're shorter than plus 160 to get the one seed if they've won the division, which I think they probably are, given that they figured they would have uh, finished ahead of the Eagles and, and the Giants uh, as much as they factor into that. I think with the Cowboys, there is a tendency to maybe outsize how bad Mike McCarthy's impact could be, and I get it. I remember the Eagles game at the end of the season against Gardner Minshew where McCarthy did everything humanly possible to lose that game uh, with how he managed it at the end. Uh, I think that the memory of how they bottled the end of the playoff game uh, against San Francisco uh, two years ago uh, and the fact that, you know, not getting the playoff at the end, that kind of stuff, I think that that really, it just helps to form an, an idea of what Mike McCarthy is as a coach. And as bad as those moments are, just I think that the likelihood of him being put in a situation like that and making the wrong decision again to the extent that it ruins their season uh, is perhaps not as likely uh, as some might expect. And I think that you just have to regress to the talent. And I think if you were to set an over-under 
for where the Cowboys' defense will finish the season and where their offense will finish the season, just and you add them together, I think that they would probably have the lowest number of just about any team, uh, just because of how evenly elite they are. And that doesn't make them the best team because the Chiefs' offense is going to be so much better, I think, um, than theirs. And, and in an outsized way, where they're probably the best team. But yeah, I think this team is stacked. I think the best way to bet them at the moment is to bet Tony Pollard to an offensive player of the year. He's still 40 to 1, 50 to 1. It was a big event uh, a couple days ago with Ezekiel Elliott not signing in Dallas and Dalvin Cook not signing in Dallas and Joe Mixon's not being traded and all these guys who are rumored to come in to Dallas and play the Zeke role and take touches away from Pollard. They're not signing there. It looks like it's going to be Tony Pollard's show, which has two impacts. One, which is good for Pollard. He's going to get more usage. And then two, I think it kind of implies that Dallas think that he's ready to take on, you know, an increased number one role, the fact that they haven't signed that veteran. So I think that combines to make Pollard uh, one of the highest upside players in the entire league. And again, we talk about how in how fantasy performance and offensive player of the year results are very closely correlated because it is basically a statistical production award from the skill positions. Week 17 to week 16 last year, which is a pretty bloody big sample, Tony Pollard was the number one running back in fantasy. And that was with Zeke still around on the team. So I think he has a chance to finish the year as the number one player in fantasy. If he does that on the Dallas Cowboys, a team that potentially wins the division, gets the one seed, I just think 40 to one's way too big with a guy uh, with that talent. I mean, I think he was PFF's third-rated running back and who's going to get this much attention. Because the good thing about betting a Dallas Cowboy in an award like this, and the same reason I like Micah Parsons to win Defensive Player of the Year, if he is the most deserving candidate, he's a 100% chance to win. They're not going to give it to someone else. If the Cowboy is the most deserving candidate, he's going to win. So uh, what do you think of Pollard OPOY? I know you need like a 40 to one or 50 to one to get the heart rate going, Jay. I get it. I know that about you. Uh, The best bet is Parsons defensive player of the year. He's the best defensive player in the NFL. He's going to be in his third year. He's going to take another step forward. The defense overall is better. This is going to be a top five defense in the NFL. Uh, And I think realistically, uh, like you said, uh, Cowboys, if he, if he deserves it, he's going to get it. And I think if I could only have one Cowboys play, that's what I would play. But um, I'm starting to get a little bit more warm on uh, six to one most wins in the NFC or you know, one seed uh, in the NFC. And, um, you know, we brought up you brought up the Chiefs for a moment there. And it reminded me uh, if we were doing this exact show five years ago, you know what we would be joking about? The entire preseason would be Andy Reid and his affinity for mismanaging the clock at the end of playoff games. And he's yeah. never is he ever going to get over the hump because Andy Reid just can't find his way out of misusing timeouts and blah, 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 blah. He learned how to do it. It's not to say that McCarthy will, but, you know, it's it's pretty silly to kind of couch any kind of realistic ce- ceiling on this team simply because of McCarthy. Uh, that said, I would certainly like to see him navigate some end-of-game situations correctly uh, in the regular season in some high-leverage moments to feel a little bit better if I was holding the Cowboys Super Bowl ticket. Yeah, Reid bottled the end of the AFC title game against the Bengals this year by punting from the 37-yard line or whatever. He didn't figure it out, and they still won the Super Bowl because it just doesn't matter if you've got Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. And it's the same thing, Mike McCarthy, uh, maybe not making the best decisions at end of games. Well, has he still got Michael Parsons and Dak Prescott and C.D. Lamb and a strong offensive line? And I'll take my chances. I agree with Parsons. I think that that award is... That, and that market is more closed than people, I think, conceive of. And there's just a lot of guys like 
You know, Max Crosby is like 15 to 1. I love Max Crosby. He's not going to win on that Raiders defense unless he breaks the all-time sack record, I think. Uh, guys like like Quinn and Williams. It's just so hard for an interior defensive lineman to win this award unless you're Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald, by the way, is probably the same boat as Max Crosby. just can't win on that defense getting quadruple teamed. I think that you look back through who wins, DPOY, Basically all Hall of Famers. I think the worst player in the past like 25 years to win DPOY is probably Stefan Gilmore, who's considered a top three cornerback of his generation. Uh, so I think that Parsons is the best defensive player. He's on an elite defense. It's basically if he is healthy, uh, which is, I don't know, off the top of it, is he like an 85% chance, 90% oh, chance to be healthy? Higher. I don't know that Par- yeah, Parsons is one of, he's, he's got to be one of the lowest injury risk players in the NFL in my mind. That guy is, he's, he's absolutely as durable as they come. And uh, yeah, Gilmore, I can't believe you mentioned him. He's on this Dallas defense yeah, team now. Yeah. Yeah. No, but uh, no, I, I mean, you're going I, I, to, easy prediction, people will get annoyed of uh, the comparisons to Lawrence Taylor by the end of the season for Micah Parsons. That's where we're headed. Yep. No, I agree. I think that he is, even so, like be conservative and say he's a minus 500 chance to be healthy enough to win the award, which is playing like 15, 16 of the 17 games, I think. If he's that, then I think he's like plus 250, plus 300 to win the award. Whichever way you construct it, you're not getting to plus 600 fair on Parsons. I think it's it's him, Garrett, Watt, Bosa. I'd take those four over the field and I'd have Parsons uh, front of the line there. All right. Micah Parsons and uh, Tony Pollard. Before we get into the LA Chargers, MLB Sunday leadoff heads to Texas, where the Seattle Mariners take on last year's World Series champions, the Houston Astros. Watch these two teams not only battle for position in the AL West, but for the postseason as well. Catch the action live this Sunday at 12.30 p.m. Eastern, exclusively on Peacock. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Get to see up close where the Dusty Baker continues to play Martin Maldonado and his minus 1.5 wins above replacement while Yana Diaz is sitting on the bench. Uh, New look offenses, Chargers and Kellen Moore. Uh, the Chargers think perennially uh, look outstanding on paper and then paper doesn't have a tendency to manifest itself in reality. Something always goes wrong for this team, whether it's injuries, whether it's coughing up a 60-point lead in a playoff game, whatever they did against the Jags. Their win total is 9.5, slightly back to the over. 
plus 300 to win the AFC West, 13 to 1 AFC, 25 to 1 Super Bowl. I mean, I think this team has significant upside as it always does. I think there is a chance that Justin Herbert could be the best quarterback in the NFL this season. Like that's in the realm of possibilities for him. Uh, I wouldn't be betting on that. I'd have him behind Mahomes, Burrow and Allen, but he is right there, I think, in that next tier. I mean, the team is looks stacked on paper. I think they've got some questions on defense. They need JC Jackson to be better. Uh, but what do you make of this team? Are you buying the Chargers hype? I am uh, I'm not. They fall into a category with a number of other AFC teams where the you know the likelihood of them ultimately succeeding in the playoffs is path dependent and uh, you know is 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 relatively narrow considering how difficult the field is. Uh, I think you group them with the likes of the Browns, um, maybe the Dolphins, although I would have the Dolphins a bit ahead of them, the Ravens even um, as these teams that uh, you know pretty clearly, if things go right, if they win their division, maybe they have a home game in the playoffs. But most likely, they're coming in as wild cards, and then you're asking them to win three consecutive games on the road in a very, very crowded field. So price, they kind of all kind of fit the same category for me, which is that there is enough downside to be concerned, and the price itself is not good enough to get involved, uh, considering how narrow, you know, kind of how narrow the path is really for these guys. Um, the Chiefs are, you know, gorillas in their own division. I don't think we need to belabor this point. They're, you know, pretty clearly expected to win the AFC West. Although, you know, I, I get it that the margin between these two teams on paper is not huge. Um, and we talked about this with the Chargers before. I have a little bit of a hang-up with uh, how thin this roster is ultimately, and how difficult it has been for them to keep their guys available i don't know if it's an evaluation problem where they're overlooking the availability question or if it's specifically the health uh and uh you know kind of conditioning that they're doing for their guys but uh they are ultimately going to be tested with depth at some point uh i look at the skill position group as not as good as people think on paper um we are already having quite you know you know we expected quentin johnson to step into a role as wide receiver three maybe even elevate to wide receiver two depending on how Keenan Allen Allen ages or his availability and now he looks like he's wide receiver four he can't seem to break through at camp and I think realistically that's a bad sign for this skill group overall Um, I think the questions about uh, Austin Eckler and whether you can give him the same workload he got last year are real I don't know that they're going to want to give him the same workload as they they gave him last year but their plan b is not you know really inspiring there so when we get to the specific questions about the offense and the, uh, the the insertion of Kellen Moore as the offensive coordinator, I have not taken a stand against this team and against this particular move in any way from a betting standpoint, right? But I've been flirting with it. And, it's, and depending on how the rest of this preseason plays out, what we see from them in terms of scheme and sequencing in the high, you know, with the, the number ones, particularly in this next game, it's going to matter. And I think uh, there is almost certainly – a likelihood that Kellen Moore will reflect an upgrade over Lombardi. I don't think that's a controversial take, but I do think it's a little bit overbuilt into the current price of this team that it will succeed, that it will be a huge, uh, you know, take the top off of Justin Herbert and his potential. And, you know, I, I kind of need to see it to believe it because I remember way too many games where Kellen Moore disappointed me in his tenure with the Cowboys. And if that was because of Jason Garrett, that was because of the, you know, jerry jones influence if that was because of mike mccarthy then we will learn that this year but right now uh i just i have uh, in back of my head uh you know questions about depth 
questions about this skill group and questions about Kellen Moore ultimately being priced correctly in the current market environment. Uh, and so for all those reasons, I'm a pass on Herbert at MVP. I'm a pass on Chargers as a one seed potentially in the AFC because uh, number one, the price is not good enough. And number two, the downside I think is not being reflected by market. This is not a, t- this is not a good analog necessarily. So bear with me, but the whiffs of the way the market is treating this team has a lot of similarities, I feel like, to the way that the Colts were treated last year in the preseason, where it was just assumed, oh, they figured out their quarterback situation. They're inserting Matt Ryan. Now everything will work. They'll take the next step forward. And now it's sort of like, oh, they've solved the offensive coordinator situation. They're inserting Kellen Moore. They'll all take the next step forward. And I, I still think that fragility on the offensive line, uh, you know, lack of uh, you know, true – game breakers in the skill position group could ultimately hold them back, even if Kellen Moore is that guy. So um, I'm buyer beware on these guys, particularly at market price. Yeah, I think the case for the Chargers would be that almost everything went wrong last year. Herbert basically breaks his ribs uh, and is playing hurt for much of the season. They lose Rashawn Slater, who's one of their four, five most important players and their best offensive linemen. Keenan Allen and Mike Williams are banged up and missing time. Joey Bosa misses a ton of time. Uh, They lose JC Jackson for the year and they still make the playoffs and are a complete bottle job away from winning a playoff game. And now pretty much all of those guys are back uh, and they didn't really lose anyone. So that's where the upside comes from. The downside, and this isn't very scientific, but it's just a team that just does dumb stuff all the time. And it just doesn't feel like they're very well run. I don't understand what they were doing playing their starters against the Broncos uh, with Mike Williams getting hurt. Uh, it, it kind of, a, you know, you don't want to see Mike Williams getting hurt, but there was some poetic justice for Brandon Staley with that decision coming back to haunt him. Uh, and then they just completely bottled the playoff game uh, and they just seem mismanaged on offense, just never throwing the ball deep for whatever reason, despite having a guy who could yeah. you know, throw it 300 yards in the air and Justin Herbert. So I just, yeah, it doesn't seem really like an organization that you want to back and get involved in. Same time, there's a lot of talent. So I agree with you. I'm not rushing to back them. The only thing that left out to me, uh, looking through prices around this team, I don't know he's got a bit of a stench on him, and I don't think he's even a good coach. <laughs> Brandon Staley is 35 to 1 to win coach of the year, and that just doesn't reconcile with the Chiefs, with the Chargers being plus 300 to win the division. And you can say the plus 300 is wrong, it's too short, whatever. Still, he's not 8 to 1 to win coach of the year if he wins a division that Patrick Mahomes is in. Like, that just doesn't reconcile. And as much as we think that he's not good and this team uh, might underachieve relative to expectations, Two years ago, which is the last time Justin Herbert was healthy, I think he's the number one quarterback in luck-adjusted EPA. Like He is a legitimate superstar, one of the handful of quarterbacks uh, who could, you know, who have MVP upside. Uh, yeah, I'm not rushing to bet Herbert at 11-1 to 1 MVP. I think Staley, 35-1 to 1 coach of the year, is a much better bet. And he does have a bit of a stench on him after the Jacksonville game and after the Broncos decision and all that. But I don't think it's like a Mike McCarthy-level stench where it's going to prevent him from winning coach of the year if they go 14-3 and three and get a one seed in the AFC. So that would be my way to attack the Chargers' upside. Uh, but outside of that, uh, they're largely... A stay away for me at this point. Uh, and also, just looking at like AFC price, Super Bowl price, the AFC is just too stacked. And the Chiefs and the Bills and the Bengals are too good. I think really, if you're looking at outright prices at the moment, the value is largely in the NFC. And to me, the value is just on the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, but 
uh, the AFC. I think it's just that if you just, you know, price out the just average playoff price, like what would happen for the Chargers to, between now and the playoffs for them to be more highly rated than all of, like, the Chiefs, the Bengals, it's not, the Bills? It's like, not possible. It's difficult. Yeah. It's not possible, and we kind of missed a key point, and I'm mad at myself for waiting this long to say it out loud. They don't have home field advantage, Jay. So even if they get the one seed, they're effectively playing on the road. It's not like the other teams in the NFC aren't going to travel to L.A. in January and show up, show up Chargers fans. There's 10 people in this city that care about this team, and they're all, they all work for the Chargers. <laughs> like, honestly, like, realistically, I'm being glib, but, like, that does matter in terms of overall pricing because if they're downside of making the playoffs in terms of prices, they go in as a wild card and they have to travel and play on the road, but their upside is – they have, uh, you know, the lowest home field advantage of all of these potential competitors. Then almost certainly there is some asymmetry that works against you from betting them in that market. Yeah, I think I remember when you and I were in Los Angeles together, and I think I asked you, like, is is LA a, is it like seventy percent Rams, thirty percent Chargers? And then you were like, no, it's like seven percent Rams, three percent Chargers, ninety percent someone else, ninety percent Lakers or whatever. So yeah, there's not a ton of home field I, uh, that that that, that stands today. And in fact, maybe Rams have gone have gone down. True. Yeah, well, that makes sense. All right. Uh, in terms of favorite bets, uh, I think we outlined them. Parsons, DPOY. I like Pollard, Offensive Player of the Year. If you get him in the 40 to 1, 50 to 1 range. Cowboys, Super Bowl, Cowboys, one seed, just riding all the upside on the Cowboys. And then yeah, it's not a bet that you feel great about hitting submit on, but I think Brandon Staley, 35 to 1, is a, a little bit too big for Coach of the Year. Uh, anything I, there you, you want to add? You, you can have the Staley Coach of the Year one, and uh, when that hits, I'm going to be so mad at the end of the season, and you could take a couple of victory laps. But uh, I'm not. I'm officially not a Staley guy. Um, and, uh, you know, no, I don't wish any ill will to him necessarily, but uh, I certainly don't expect or want him to get Coach of the Year this year. Yeah, well, I know he listens to the show, so he'll uh, he won't be happy hearing that, but that's okay. Uh, well, he shouldn't he shouldn't have lied to us about Mike Williams last year before the playoffs, Jay. That was yeah. a, that was a that was a rude thing to do to the handicapping community, and uh, the uh, the betting gods do not smile kindly on that. Yeah, no, indeed they do not. All right, we're done. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Don't forget to check out NBCSports.com for more information to help you with your wages. Thanks, everyone, watching on the NBC Sports YouTube channel. Please don't forget to rate and subscribe if you're listening in podcast form. And also a reminder to find all your favorite NBC Sports shows on Amazon Music. Just head to Amazon.com slash NBC Sports from Jay Croucher and Drew Dinsick. We'll be back tomorrow. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.